Hello, Bookstube viewers. So it's now April of 2021, and along with spring, there has been a, an explosion of new novels and new books coming out. Uh, whether things, the publishers held books because of the pandemic, I don't know, but I am so happy that I have another return author with us today. So I want to reintroduce you to Naima Coster, who was on the show before with her novel Halsey Street. At that time, when I contacted her, I kind of just sent her a fangirl email and said, hi, I loved your book, could you come on my show? <laughs> and now uh, it's her second novel, and this time her publicist got in touch with me, which I was really thrilled about. So Naima, welcome back to Book Stew. Thank you for having me, I'm happy to be here. And um, I just wanted to mention two kind of uh, one degree of Kevin Bacon coincidences. I want to show you all uh, that I have this book review from the Sunday New York Times, which uh, features Naima's book, What's Mine and Yours. And it's written by an author who I'm going to be having on Book Stew in September. So just that coincidence was one wild one. And then on Tuesday, um, March 9th, I got to see a webinar with Naima and Lisa Cross-Smith, who was on the show in February. So I feel like I'm in this wonderful stream of uh, writers that I love, interacting with writers that I love, which is, and me, which is just the best thing. So um, this is a different, very different novel, I think, than your first one. Um, this one involved, well, first of all, you moved. Halsey Street was uh, kind of set in Brooklyn and you were living in New York. And then um, during either or before the second novel, you moved to North Carolina. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I lived in Durham, North Carolina for about three years. And when I moved there, I was captivated by the landscape. I experienced something like culture shock moving from Brooklyn, New York. And so I spent some time just absorbing and learning about that city and the state. And it became the setting for what's mine and yours. And but now you've moved back to New York. I have. I have. I moved back to New York uh, when we when my husband and I had a little girl. So reluctantly, half reluctantly, how do you feel about your move back? It's been good. It's been good to be back home. Um, I certainly miss North Carolina. The writing of this book was a way to keep North Carolina close, but with a with a with a baby, it was time to to come home. And also, in when you had wrote your first novel, you didn't have a child, and now you have a child. So um, the second book is very uh, family engaged. There's almost there's like one kind of outside incident that has to do with um, school integration. But other than that, it's very concentrated on what's going on in the lives of two families. And in, in the kind of usual way that they intersect, which is kids going to high school together, and then the unusual ways they intersect, which is the mothers of the family and how they do and don't interact. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the beginning of the book. So the beginning of the book is just kind of this beautiful uh, opening and hopeful opening where um, there's two male protagonists. 
Um, both are dads. One's a stepdad, one's a dad. And they're um, meeting at uh, a, co a coffee shop that's being opened, hopefully, by uh, one of the characters. And they're just chatting and talking about how nice it would be to have their family have a nice house to live in. And this new coffee shop is opening. And it's all full of hope. And then, like, Five pages later, everything falls to the ground. So it's it's it. You really go from the heights to the to the depths. Was that your intention all along? To because uh, it's such a riveting opening, and but it's so kind of unnerving at the same time. I wanted to write a book about how families put their lives back together after their dreams have been interrupted. So the opening, as you said, introduces us to these two family and the men whose tragedies and losses end up setting their families on new trajectories. So we start with the men, with these two fathers, but the book really follows their partners, the women, the mothers in the family, and their children, and how they live on after the tragedies at the very beginning of the book in the first two chapters. And there are also um, really important secondary characters here that um, provide a lot of support and assistance to, um, to the two main families. And I thought those characters were very well written and sympathetic. So as you're putting together the structure of the book, I guess, how do you, how, do you focus on your main characters first? Um, do you drag your secondary characters in and go, uh-oh, I don't like, they couldn't survive without someone else supporting them? How, how do you do that? Well, I love books that include multiple points of view, and this is a book that includes several points of view. And I love those kinds of books because our lives are so interconnected in ways that we can rarely see. We can rarely see someone's individual story or troubles or difficulty but it affects us and we feel it in our collective life. So this book looks at the two mothers, Lacey May and Jade, their daughters, but it also looks at the people that the daughters love and that the mothers love over the course of their lives. Um, people in the high school who become a part of the drama and the tension between these two families. And I love that in a novel you can move and look at all of these different lives, even if they're not at the center of the book, in a way that we rarely can in life, where we're just sort of stuck in our own our own head and perspective. Yeah, it's like, as the author, you can kind of lead the reader to see how important Ruth and Lynette are, but, um, but maybe Lacey May and Jade kind of didn't see it at the time. So that's, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting way to put it. Um, I'm, Lacey May is, an, is a really interesting character um, because she is, you got to feel for her. She's uh, left basically on her own uh, because her husband is an addict and he, you, can, you know he loves his family deeply. I thought his portrayal was really good too because I think that um, when people um, who are not really familiar with addiction find out about people who are addicted, they tend to be so judgmental and like, okay, uh, you're addicted, so you're a horrible person. They never see beyond, um, they, and they see the effects of the addiction on their families, but they don't see how painful the addict's life is to the addict. So I thought 
Ray, you did a, a great job with Ray and Lacey May, and Lacey May couldn't quite let go of him because I think she, she was sure that he was his soul, he was her soulmate if there ever is such a thing, but he could not help her survive. He actually was kind of detrimental to her and the girls surviving. The book actually started for me with Lacey May, the character of Lacey May. I wrote a short story about a woman struggling to keep the gas on for her girls, um, and that woman was Lacey May. She didn't have enough money to keep her house heated because she had sent it all to her husband, who's very troubled and struggles with addiction, and at that time is in jail. And I was really interested in her as someone who's very devoted to her husband, and that ends up causing trouble for her and for her girls over the course of the book as Robbie struggles. As someone for whom the role of mother is so important, um, but also causes her frustration because she feels that she didn't go far enough in life or as far as she would have liked to, so she wants to make sure her girls have every opportunity to do so. Um, and also a woman who's willing to go quite far um, for her family. And in that short story that I wrote, I think that those qualities were admirable. But when it comes to the school integration, her willingness to go far to make sure her girls are taken care of becomes more sinister. It, it did, it was, but somehow while you wanted to smack her, you kind of understood her motivation and all, which wasn't like pure racism. It was like, are my girls gonna lose any opportunities because you're giving opportunities to somebody else? And the problem with that view is, of course, thinking that you are the only one who's entitled to opportunities and that anyone else who gets an opportunity is a takeaway from you, which is just such an American hole to fall into. But um, what you brought up about Lacey May, I, there's a little tiny, a description of Jade, who's um, the other mother who has her son G. And I loved this quote. It's, um, you said, more than once in a rage, she told him she was too smart for her life. What haunted Ray wasn't the meanness of it, but the truth. I thought that was, um, I just can't even imagine how many people feel that way. And not in a conceited way, but just kind of in a realistic way. Like, I know there are things going on here, and I'm smarter than the things that are going on, and I'm better than it, but I, somehow I cannot get myself out of this ditch. Yes, and to go back to what we were talking about before, I think that this book is also about how difficult it can be to achieve your dreams, even dreams that seem that as if they might be straightforward. You know, in the beginning of the book, when Ray, Jade's partner, is talking to Robbie, Lacey May's partner, he's thinking about getting a house on the more affluent west side of town. And he says, well, my friend Robbie came to this country from Columbia, and he made this journey across an ocean. Surely I can get across town to a neighborhood with better schools. Um, and, you know, many of us know it's not that easy. It can be quite difficult. Um, to get to another neighborhood, another zip code. And I think that Jade is facing that too. She wants to take care of her son, but she also wants to pursue her own career. She wants to move up in the world. And it's difficult. And the frustrations that she encounters create this rage in her. 
and you can you can really see it there's in the opening uh, scene which was so nice with Ray and Robbie Jade um, comes into the coffee shop and she's mad at Ray because Ray woke up G the son the little son and brought him to the bakery because Jade had been out late the night before and so you know Ray wasn't judging her at all he was like okay she works really hard she's going to school she's really striving how can I begrudge her a night out but she bursts into the coffee shop and she's all over him saying don't say I can't take care of my own child where really he was just trying to help out but that opening scene with with Jade really kind of sets sets her in your mind as somebody who's not going to be an easy person to deal with and not going to have a, a smooth road to success. No, Jade is a, she's a tough character. She's tough, she's resilient, she's smart. And I think that Ray is someone who, as you said, has a lot of compassion for her. And she's a character who I think is easy to judge because we're very quick to judge mothers. Um, I think it's very easy to say if she has a small son who has to go to school the next day, why was she blowing off steam? And maybe readers have that thought, but Ray doesn't. Ray sort of admires her and admires all of the things that she's juggling and has a heart for the things about her life that are difficult. Probably um, more than she herself does. I mean, she's, mm -hmm. you know, I think she's also caught up between really uh, trying to get ahead feeling guilty because every mother feels guilty whenever they try to get ahead because they're concerned about the effect it's going to have on their child. But I think she also knows that the more she tries, the better it is going to be for G. But G is a tough cookie. So G is um, seen at, at, as a little boy, then as a teenager in high school, and then as an adult. And I guess if you had a kind of not unlikable, but unsettling, the most unsettling character for me was G, because he was kind of, there were things you really liked about him, but there were times when you just wanted to shake him and say, come on, come on, there's opportunities, there's things going on, what are you doing? Which maybe Jade felt too, if she was paying 100% attention, which she wasn't always. And you know, mm -hmm. what mother can pay 100% attention? So how did you build the character of G? G is the character who's likely closest to my heart, although I didn't start with him. I started with Lacey May and then moved to Jade. The mothers came to me more readily. But G is a character who I see as very tender and very vulnerable. So in the beginning of the book, he suffers a terrible loss when he's just a boy. And his mother, Jade, becomes his fiercest champion. And she's determined to make sure that he has a good life, despite everything that's been taken away from him. But in her determination, she can be cold to him and sort of so focused on his moving forward and being tough that there isn't much room for G to grieve his losses or just to be regular, just to sort of be an unremarkable boy um, who is wonderful just as he is and not because of where he will go in life or what he'll overcome. So he's quite lonely um, and he's in this difficult position as one of the few 
black students, new black students in a newly integrated high school in North Carolina in the early 2000s. So I feel very much for G's position, the loneliness of it, until he becomes friends with Lacey May's eldest daughter, Noelle, who's very different from him, but who also comes from a troubled family. So they bond as students of color in the school, although Noelle is white presenting, her mother is white, and her father is Colombian, so she's half Latina, but moves to the school as a white student. They're quite different, but they share coming from difficult families, um, and that becomes a point of bonding for the two of them. I think uh, the character of Noelle is, uh, she, you know, she's, she immediately comes into view as kind of a, an angry teenager with uh, two annoying little sisters, even though they do um, gather together with Lacey May and without Lacey May to defend each other. And of course, they have very conflicted feelings about their father who is in jail and has mental illness and is an addict but still obviously loves them very much but again doesn't do much to help them out so when Noelle and G meet each other in school there's like fireworks of a of an amazing kind where you know Noelle really sees the worth of G and um, then they are in a play together, and the play is Shakespeare's Measure for Measure, um, which is, is an interesting choice because it's not like an obvi like Romeo and Juliet or Midsummer Night's Dream. It's a, it's a comedy, but it really isn't like a funny comedy. How did you choose Measure for Measure? Well, I read I read Measure for Measure as an adult. I read it in graduate school, and I was really interested in the way that it follows these characters who get into trouble because of their moral judgments and convictions. So it's sort of a, a play about people who are convinced that they're right, um, whether that's the Duke or uh, a nun in training, Isabella. And as they pursue righteousness, they create chaos and problems. And that seemed to me to speak to the mothers in this book who have such clear ideas about what they want for their children and are convinced that they're right, but it creates such damage and difficulty for their children. And I also love that Measure for Measure is um, one of Shakespeare's problem plays. So it's a comedy in some ways. There's a gesture towards many marriages at the end of the play, but the ending is unsettling and strange, um, and it's not quite joyous. And I sort of love that as a way of thinking about a novel where there can be sort of some happiness, some romance, some uh, catharsis, but then there's still things that are unfinished or uncomfortable um, in a way that feels true to life. I think... Um having the students recognize and the, the you know the director of measure for measure realize that it wasn't quite working right and this was really like the first uh, theatrical presentation in this school that you would want to show off to the parents how well integration had worked and what a great theater arts program they had and then, in, in this fascinating stroke, the director leaves it up to the students to decide how they're going to do the ending. I have never read anything like that before. And I, I love theater, so I've read like 
real, like nonfiction set in high schools and stuff like that about these high school programs where they go to Broadway and they win awards and stuff. Where did that come from? Because that was such a kind of cool part of the book. Thanks. Well, you know, as a writer, I think a lot about how the process and practice of writing change me and that it's not just sort of the finished product that makes me a writer. It's the doing of it. And so this play, Measure for Measure, the ultimate production in the book, it's not particularly good. They don't then go on to become, you know, Broadway stars and it's remarkable and their acting transforms the town. But what matters about the play is what it does for the students. So just the process of it and what it means to them. So for G and Noel in finding one another, that's one of the gifts of the play. And then also for G, who's so sensitive and anxious and shut down, that the play gives him an opportunity to come into himself and forge a new identity for himself and even have some language to talk about what it's like to be him, even if it's Shakespeare's language. That's sort of the power and the significance of it, like what the art means for the practitioners and the people who are a part of it before it's ever shown to an audience. And he even had to go through a terrible beatdown from uh, from Noel's ex-boyfriend to uh, and then get up from being beaten down and still want to perform and be in the play. So uh, that was that was one of G's definite heroic moments. Um, I have another quote, and in fact, it's from uh, it's from Noel. So um, this one is: When she was upset, she grew smug and started telling everyone who they were and who they weren't. Um, I thought that was kind of a, that's a nice way <laughs> to say she was like bossy. She was bossy to G. She was bossy to her sisters. Um, and of course, she gave she and her mother gave each other the most hellacious time. So um, tell us about how you, where did Noel come from? Well, Noel started as a little girl in the story that I wrote about Lacey May, and I didn't know that much about her. I just knew that she was the oldest girl, and she was the one with the most questions for her mother. Um, and the most resistance. So her mother spins a story about why their father Robbie isn't there and you know the house is very cold and so she says it's winter in our house and turns it into a game so that the girls don't realize how dire the situation has become. And Noelle is the one with the questions. She's the one who's suspicious. She's the skeptic. Um, and how that changes in her as I wrote the book and thought more about her is that it becomes this rage towards her mother sort of noelle needs a scapegoat like many of the people in the book her life circumstances have been hard she essentially loses her father although he's in and out of her life um, as he lives with his addiction and she's she blames her mom she sort of blames her mom for for loving him for not setting stronger boundaries with him for the situation that she pulls them into and so what's interesting about noelle is writing about that resistance and disapproval of her mom, but then also writing about the ways that she becomes like her, sort of the ways that her being raised by Lacey May form her. Um, and Lacey May is also someone who likes to tell people who they are um, <laughs> and, and believes that she has people pinned, and Noelle inherits that. It's just that she thinks she's right about it and her mom is wrong. So one part of the book that I thought was 
um, kind of like almost, um, I don't know, a, a set aside or a, a strange interlude was Margarita's, um, a brief episode of Margarita, the second daughter, her life in LA. So she's uh, trying to become an influencer. Everything is about Instagram and um, she's kind of, she's not kind of, she's very lost and sad and to me was leading almost the unhappiest life out of anybody. Um, how did, where did you draw on the influencer um, thing? Because that was completely different than what everybody else was doing and in a completely different setting too. Yes, Margarita has run the farthest away from home. So Noelle's the eldest, Margarita is the middle child, and then Diane the baby stays in North Carolina and lives close to her mother. But with Margarita, I was interested in writing about the different ways that we tried to turn down the volume on the pain in our lives. So for her, that's drinking and drugs and partying, but it's also curating a beautiful image of her life for the world as a way of escaping the pain of her fractured family, the difficult the difficult figure that Lacey May is, the absence of Robbie, who's the parent that Margarita identifies most with. And, you know, the lengths that she'll go to are almost, they're comical, but I think that she's actually not quite far off from what many of us do, which is try to escape the pains that we have to live with, whether it's with Instagram or, um, you know, pursuing a career. She's always trying to chase something that will take her pain away. As are they all, but she, t she chose a different method. So we're low on time, but I had one more question to ask you. So um, these are characters that, as a reader, you feel very uh, entangled with, attached to, uh, genu you're genuinely concerned about what's gonna happen to them. You created these people, and then, and now this book, you probably finished it a year ago, um, was it hard to let go of, of the characters? Maybe this is why writers actually do sequels like years after the fact, because the characters haunt them and maybe the readers are saying, oh, I wish I knew what happened, but um, how, how, do you, how do you put them aside and move on <laughs> to the next group of characters you want to write about? Yeah, well, I'll say that I don't think I've put them behind yet, behind me yet. They're still in my head. Um, and I think part of that is talking about the book in public, but I also think that there's still questions and issues from the book that I myself am still trying to unpack and think through. I sort of wrote this book in something like a trance. To call it a trance isn't quite right because I was also intentional and making you know choices and thinking about craft and technique, but it was such a, a deep and intense and swift process for me that there is a way that I haven't let go of the characters and I'm still in the book. So I think I think I have to reread it. I've listened to it. I listened to the audio book since it was published, which was great. But I think I need to spend some more time with them before I say goodbye. This book is very, very close to my heart. Well, um, I'm glad you kind of, you gave me a chance to figure out a smooth, to avoid coming up with a smooth way to say goodbye because um, I'm glad to hear you're going to read reread the book. Um, I'm glad in a way to hear that you haven't quite let go of the characters because they, I really uh, felt them deeply too. And uh, so I want to say thank you for coming on the show again. 
I'm here anytime you write anything. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. And I want to thank you for coming back on the show and best of luck and success. Oh, I have to mention that um, what's mine and ours is, a, mine and yours, sorry, is a choice of Read with Jenna for the Today Show and the Book of the Month Club, whoa. And so, and the audio book is out. So um, I, I thank you again for, for coming on the show, Naima. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm always happy to be here and happy reading to you. Thank you. So, Bookstew viewers, um, we wrap up another episode with uh, a fantastic novel that I hope you will seek out, as well as Naima's first novel, Halsey Street. Um, thank you for joining us today. And um, in our next episode, we may actually have a studio guest, an in-studio guest, Jane Healy, the author of Beantown Girls, who lives locally, and if I'm lucky, will join me here in the studio next time. So thanks for watching and have a good night.